Hey, hi, everybody. This is Howard Kalin, that handsome, bearded, good-looking turtle, and you're listening to Vicki Abelson's Road Taken. Hi, I'm Vicki Abelson. I wrote a book called Don't Jump. Andy Stone is my heroine, and she was addicted to everything pretty much except heroin. Oh, my God. Oh, yes. She just totally captures the excitement of, of rock stars. And famous athletes and famous comedians. Sort of an insider's view from the outside. The warmth and wit of Vicky's writing knocked me out. In, in a good way, not, not like Cosby. Too soon? Vicky wrote a book? Vicki Abelson's long-awaited new book, Don't Jump, is finally here. Don't miss it. Available on Amazon. Quick Impressions is a full-service commercial printer with pricing that competes with online wholesalers. The difference is their customer service. From business cards, envelopes, brochures, to mailers, presentation folders, DVD and CD packaging, carton signs to calendars, and I've used them for just about all of those things myself, including the galleys and bookmarks and signature plates for my own book, and custom-designed tissue boxes and notepads and labels for women who write. They've done it all. Um, and I ain't easy to please, as you well know, DJ. And they always blow me away. The quality of their work is stellar, and they're the nicest people ever. That's Quick Impressions. Hold the C. Quick. Q-U-I-K. Ask for Rick, but that does have a C. And then tell them that Vicky sent you, which also has a C. And they will love you up. You can find them at quickimpressions.com for all your printing needs. Welcome to Vicki Abelson's broadcast, The Road Taken, Celebrity Maps to Success. Vicki's the creator and host of the renowned celebrity-driven literary salon, Women Who Write, and the author of the Amazon bestseller, Don't Jump. Here's Vicki. Hey, DJ. How you doing tonight? Pretty good, Vicki. Yeah, good. Hey, Louise. Hey, Vicki. I said Louise instead of Wheezy because I, because I call you Louise and everybody else calls you Wheezy. Yeah, so. that's combining my name with my nickname. Very efficient. <laughs> yeah. So yes. Yeah, so you're you're Louise to me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so, okay. So, <laughs> how am I? I just got back from New York and I I spent. Um, a nine-day parent weekend with my daughter because I'm Jewish and that's what we do. Mm -hmm. Nine-day weekend. Um, and very nostalgic for me. I'm from New York uh, and our guest tonight's from New York. We'll talk about that. But, um, you know, it's the food. It's, it's, the, it's, it's people, places, and things and the food. Very nostalgic. Harkens me back to, to my youth and, um, you know, the, the, the comfort of, of a New York bagel and and a piece of pizza and an egg roll um just it when i take a bite of a piece of pizza in new york like 50,000 memories go flooding through my brain it's like a hug in your mouth it is a hug in your mouth <laughs> and and tonight's guest is like a hug in the ears ah right right nice. okay right Be, thank you very good <laughs> and and it, but it's true i mean it, it right? Because, yes. you know, when I hear Happy Together, I immediately am in the Catskill Mountains. I'm a counselor. I, I, it's before. I, I actually am having my first crush. I, I, I have, like, Andy Feldman, you know, the, the Andy Healthman was his name, actually. Mm. I have, you know, and I'm getting my first little kiss when I'm, like, eight or nine years old or some shit like that. And, and then, you know, I hear Eleanor, and I am, I am right back at JHS 127. I mean, I know exactly where I am. And, and, Every time I hear those songs, 
my heart is so full. And plus, right, we know every word to every one of those songs. Oh, absolutely. Right? Even yeah. my kids know every word to, to those songs. And, and it is a hug. That's a great way. To, thanks, Louise. That was great. I have a happy together uh, memory, actually. What was that? Um, funny enough, it actually reminds me of me growing up in the 80s. Uh, Young that, and you. Yeah. The, uh, that song is actually a major thing in uh, Ernest Goes to Camp, which oh, that's was a huge. Film. Yeah, which was huge for people my age, especially. And, and I, it's a huge song in that. So I immediately, that's the first thing that I think of. And I think anyone around my age, same thing, thinks that. That's it just really makes everyone sweet. smile, that song. So, so yeah, yeah. It's uh, very cool. And so, Howard Kalen, our guest tonight, the lead singer of the Turtles, um, partnered with Mark Volman and, and they went on to become Flo and Eddie and they were in the Mothers of Invention, which is crazy. They 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 also produced and and pl- and sang on incredible like with John Lennon and Bruce Springsteen and all these crazy people. Um, Howard wrote a screenplay, My Dinner with Jimmy. Um, he acted in It's the Gary Shandling show. Um, th- he's had such a varied career, but always the turtles it's all we always come back to happy together and and they have the happy to get the tour mm. which has been going for years um wheezy i know you saw it this year with with the cow sills i've seen it the last two years and the councils are going to be in it again this next summer. And and it and and I remember you telling me it was like unbelievable. 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 And and yeah, and I have yet to so I'll be doing it this this year. But anyway, it's it's my pleasure and my thrill to welcome Howard to the show. Howard Kalen. Hey Howard, how are you? Hey, never been better, Vicky. How's everything in Southern California? It's weird because I just got back from New York. We're going to talk about that cuz cuz you're a Bronx Ooh. boy. You're a Bronx boy, yeah? Well, I was born in the Bronx. I grew up in uh, Brooklyn and then uh, wound up doing radio in Manhattan for a few years. And I, I consider myself a New Yorker. A New Yorker, yeah. But, but, but um, from what I've been reading, you actually did school in California. Um, yeah. And you, yeah. Were like we little, left, uh, you were like a little You were like a little smarty pants. Uh, you were like a valedictorian, and you went to college on scholarship. Who, wow, Howard. Uh, I was a nerd. I think it's good to be a nerd. I think, you know, the last couple of generations from millennials on have figured out that, you know what, nerd is good. Nerd means I can get a job after I'm 18. Nerd means that, you know, I don't have to keep up with the Joneses. I can put tape on my glasses and go to my chem class. All right. It's okay to be a nerd. Okay, so I... You I, know, I work he- on electronic dance music after your classes. Okay, so I want to hear. Okay, so so you're a kid. You're really you're smart. You're a nerdy kid. W- when did you realize that that you could sing? How did that happen? I was always singing, but it never made me less of a nerd. It made me more of a nerd. How is uh, how I so? Was in acapella choir. Okay, so so okay, so you were in acapella choir. T- t- so yeah, wow. Well, I knew I could sing because I was singing along with records and stuff, uh, but I didn't know really how to sight-read music from vocals. I had learned music on the clarinet and the saxophone a little bit uh, before I got to high school. And so they they knew that I sang in a tenor range, and they Mm -hmm. put me right at the end of the second tenors. Well, the end of the first tenors, the guy who has slightly more higher range than I did... Mm -hmm. um, 
those guys were standing next to me in the choir, and the guy they put next to me was this frizzy-haired guy with glasses named Mark Volman, who yeah. was voted the class clown. <laughs> and Mark was, you know, while I was valedictorian, Mark was a you know, straight D student <laughs> all the way on the line. <laughs> and and we hit it off totally because I was hanging out with smart, goofy kids, and he was hanging out with the surfers. When did you and Mark decide that, when did you guys start singing together? When did that happen? How did that morph into something? Well, I was already in a band. Uh, it was really weird. The first day, uh, one of the first days I got into high school at all, I got a phone call from this guy by the name of Chuck Port. Mm -hmm. uh, he said, hi, I'm a bass player. You don't know me, but we heard through the grapevine that you play saxophone, and we're looking for a sax player in this group we've got called the Night Riders. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, I would love to be your sax player. I, I, I knew like four notes. <laughs> I mean, really, it was, I had learned on the clarinet. I didn't even own a saxophone, so I By the way, I played clarinet the clarinet teacher. in, I played clarinet in, except I couldn't play a note, and I used to put my hair over so the teacher couldn't see that I didn't know when I was, bl and I faked the fingers the whole time. Yeah. Oh, terrible. my God. Yeah, that's, I was like, that's like lip-syncing in choir. That's you what know, I was doing. You know, don't I was, they, that's what don't I was. they test you? <laughs> Didn't they test you? I, I somehow got away with it, but I was the worst clarinet player in the history. My father played clarinet, and I tried to follow. I was sucked. But anyway, okay, so you could really play clarinet, but you couldn't. You really didn't know the sax, kind of? Well, no, I didn't. I, you know, I could read clarinet music. I was in marching bands. Mm -hmm, and stuff. Mm -hmm. My mom had put me in marching bands from, like, the age of... 10 years old. Oh, wow. And I marched and I marched and I marched and we <laughs> did all these parades. And, and I think that's probably why my back and my feet are all fucked up. Oh, but anyway, all right, wait, wait. Before, um, we, before we leave the, your mother, so, so your mother was, your mother liked, your mother encouraged your music. Oh, yes. Mothers don't let your babies to grow up <laughs> to be musicians. <laughs> but your mother did. That you never heard. <laughs> So, okay, so your mother was behind. So um, we're starting out. You're a little kid. Your mother's having you be in marching bands. So I'm going to assume that as your career as an artist started to blossom, she was good with this? She clipped every little local <laughs> listing out of the newspaper. Aww. If we were on the Ed Sullivan Show and oh. it was in TV Guide, she cut it out and she put it in her scrapbook. Oh. You know, mother's brother, she put it in her scrapbook. Oh. You know, even at the age of 10, if we marched in like the Huntington Beach Christmas Parade or something, yeah. it would be in the scrapbook. You know, and we would march like three, four miles. We didn't know. And every day <laughs> we used to rehearse behind the music store and I would go next door as a 10-year-old kid and I would buy near beer. Oh, really? They had near beer? Remember they didn't have near beer? They didn't have near like, beer you know, then. They, O'Doul's. I yes, didn't, they I didn't hear, did. Really? I didn't find out about O'Doul's till I got sober, so I don't know. But Well, it wasn't O'Doul's. It was literally called near beer. Wow. That was a, a nice licensed name. So I would go and drink near beer and pretend that I was old enough <laughs> or drunk enough <laughs> to do this because it was stupid and the uniforms. They made us wear hats with, like, plumes on them and stuff. <laughs> and we would march in the middle of summer, and they had us, you know, especially in the high school marching band, which I couldn't handle. I was only in that for, like, a couple of months before yeah. I went. Wow. I, you know, even 
this is too geeky even for me. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so so you're doing marching band. Now we're getting back to you and Mark. So now you got asked to be a saxophone player in this other band. Okay, so go ahead. So what happened? So, uh, so Mark had heard us play at some uh, local party mm-hmm. and asked me in acapella choir if he could be in the group. Mm-hmm. And I said, you know, that would be great. What is it you do? And he said, oh, I don't do anything. <laughs> and, I thought that was a weird kind of way to get into an audition. But I said, you know what? I'm going to pass your words on to our lead guitar player, Al, at lunch. I'm going to pass you your words make on. Decision. <laughs> yeah. I was, you know, I wasn't going to take executive responsibility <laughs> for that moron being in my band. Yeah. So Al knew who Mark was because mm-hmm. he was class clown and he was everywhere and he was, you know, a guy who never cared about school, who only cared about friends and being popular and hanging out with the cool chicks and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't like he was a good-looking surfer dude. <laughs> he was the fat guy with the frizzy hair and the glasses who was getting a D in every class. So his his whole life was the beach. You know, his whole life God. was creating a circle of friends. Well, so you mean uh, he was like Spicoli before Spicoli? He, that's kind of what he's sounding like here. Kind of. Yeah. <laughs> kind of. I mean, we were so, the rest of us were so antisocial that anything he did, even if it was detention, was way more social than <laughs> we were going to get. Okay, yeah. We can. So, um, so Al Nichols said uh, at lunchtime, w- what do you mean he does nothing? And I said, well, he doesn't. He just has a lot of friends and stuff. <laughs> and Al said, tell you what, why don't we take him to the show next weekend? He can play tambourine on stage. He can sing the dirty verses to money and what I say and stuff. <laughs> and we won't have to take any of the blame for it. And he can be our roadie, too, at the same time, carry the equipment. And I said, that's great. That's a wonderful use of a human being. So uh, the next weekend we had a, a gig. We had a, uh, which was rare for us not to be on campus or in Westchester with a gig, but we had booked to show at a UCLA fraternity rush party. Oh, my. So this is on Gailey Avenue, just right next to the school, and it's a very hilly area, and it was rush week, so there are cars everywhere, cars in all the driveways. We pull up to this frat house, and uh, the party is going to be downstairs. Mm-hmm. It's the Red Death Party, they called it, because the only drink that was there was this huge laundry tub, and it was... Hawaiian punch with every kind of liquor they could find. And it was poured over dry ice, and it was steaming the entire (laughs) night, and everybody (laughs) called it the Red Death. And so as soon as we got there, we drank like six of them before we were even set up. Mark goes upstairs to get the equipment. Uh, He's carrying all the drums with him. He Mm -hmm. falls down all the stairs, all the cases go everywhere, (laughs) flat on his back. All the college kids are laughing at this fat idiot. Um, and then somebody comes to me and says, your car's in the driveway. White and white, that blue 51 Chevy, which is what I owned. It was great. And uh, I said, yeah, that's me. And he said, well, you're going to have to move it. You can't park in the driveway here. Oh, okay. So I go out while everybody is setting up and I start to move the car. This is the first day I've had my driver's license. I am now 16 years old. I'm moving my car, but it's a stick shift. 
I'm on Gailey Avenue. I'm trying to hold it on the hill. I see a parking place up ahead, and I pull forward to back into it, and some guy with a smaller car zips right into it, and I back up into him anyway, oh. and it's smash. Oh. Smash. And there goes the car, and now I'm two blocks away from the party, and my car doesn't run, and I've got to sort of put it in neutral and and push it down the hill to the gas station and call my dad and tell him to pick me up. And I couldn't call anybody in the band because I didn't know the fraternity house number. It was way before cell phones, so I just never came back. I never came back. They never figured out what to do. They just wound up playing instrumentals all night because there you was were the no singer. <laughs> so the Crossfires were doomed. That's what we called ourselves, the Crossfires. And we wound up playing at a little teen club in Redondo Beach for a Battle of the Bands contest that we won. And we moved our way up the ranks at this Redondo Beach Teen Club mm-hmm. to the point where we actually had groupies backstage. <laughs> it was unbelievable. Of course, they were 15, but they were very advanced. <laughs> it was Southern California back in the day. These girls Hell were yeah. the best Catholic school girls and stuff, which was a real turn on. And they were all waiting backstage. And as soon as we finished our set, usually with our instrumental Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, um, <laughs> which was a huge hit, you know, in the Westchester area. Um, the girls were always there, and it was really weird from, like, the age of 15, 16 years old. I went from this total potato of a nerdy guy in high school that no girl would talk to unless, you know, I had the notes they didn't. Um <laughs> To this, all of a sudden, hey, buddy, what are you doing? And it's three or four people on my arm, and it's like, oh, Mom, you wouldn't believe this. You just wouldn't believe this. Your baby boy has hooked up. It was just nuts. It was really, and, and that part, I think, began the quest. Once we realized that there was more to life than just playing the song, getting in the car and going home, everything changed. Okay, so now... And, and we were, yeah. Okay, so so you 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 did this band. So now, how how do you and Mark spawn off into into the Turtles? How does that happen? We're playing at this teen club every night for a year and a half, mm-hmm. and we're just about finished. We can't do it anymore. We just <laughs> even the girls are getting old. You know, they were. Oh, they're no, getting they're 16. 16. Yeah. They're yeah. too old for us. <laughs> yeah. So uh, yeah, it was very you know Trumpian like back in the day. But um, two guys came in in suits uh, as we were about to hand in our resignation. We had written our resignation to the club owner. It was on a sheet of paper, and I was the designated clown who was supposed to take it upstairs and say, thank you very much, but no, thank you. We can't do this anymore. Uh, and I'm taking the letter. I'm walking through the crowd. I get stopped by these two mob-looking guys in suits who go, hey, that was pretty good. Uh, Thanks, I guess. Well, we've got this record label. What do you mean? Uh, Well, we'd we'd like to sign you guys. You would? Yeah, you did a great version of Tambourine Man, which we did. Mm -hmm. The 
record had just come out. We learned it. We played it. We sounded better than the birds did. Cool. And, uh, these, these guys said, uh, we think folk rock is the future, and you guys are doing it, and uh, we want to sign you. Okay. We had already made a couple of Crossfires records that had you know, charted in San Bernardino, which is not a big boost. <laughs> To anyone's career, <laughs> even in San Bernardino, so um, we just thought these guys were con men. But we were breaking up anyway. Al uh-huh. Nickel had gotten married; he had kids. Uh, we were now about to, you know, enter the real world. We realized we couldn't make $125 a week apiece anymore and have that count as income. Mm-hmm. So as we're breaking up, these guys give us one more shot, and we take it. Uh, we just go, what the hell, what could go wrong? And they said, well, just, you know, bring us some folky music and we'll record you. Mm-hmm. Okay. We didn't know who they were or what they did. didn't have a name for the label yet. It was so bizarre. Mm-hmm. Um, we signed um, and they heard us and we, uh, I went home because nobody else knew what to do. Uh, I had written some folk songs for for a high school little folk band that we had been in, Mm -hmm. and uh, we recorded two of those things, and a Bob Dylan song I found on an album we had laying around that I thought I could change. Mm -hmm. Um, The song was It Ain't Me, Babe, and uh, Johnny Cash had had a hit with it, but I didn't know that because I didn't listen to country music, (laughs) and I didn't give a shit. But I listened to the song, and to me, when I heard this song, I didn't hear... Dylan's version. I didn't even hear um, Johnny Cash's sort of a laconic version. Mm-hmm. I heard it from a young kid's point of view, and to me, it sounded like an angry song. Mm-hmm. So I, I sort of zombified it. I really <laughs> loved the zombies. I loved Colin Blundstone and Rod Argent, mm-hmm. and what they had done with songs like She's Not There, mm-hmm. uh, taking a very mysterious kind of a minor burst and then blasting into a 4-4 triumphant chorus that could be repeated and made into a sort of an anthem. Mm -hmm. And we did that with It Ain't Me, Babe. And the style of the record, I think, sold it more than anything else. Mm -hmm. Um, But we kept the style. And when you listen to Let Me Be or Happy Together or Eleanor or any of those songs, Mm -hmm. they follow the same formula. It's you know, very staccato minor verses, and then breaking into a real triumphant um, chorus. And mm-hmm. that sort of became the Turtles' trademark. Every time we strayed from it, like with You Showed Me or She's Bad to Be With Me or something, we crossed our fingers and just went, oh, man, this is so outside our wheelhouse. We better hope that WLS and Art Stag and all of these DJs across the country get it. Yeah, well, I got it because those are two of my favorite songs of yours. So, yeah, I, I, I think everybody uh, got it. So, yeah. Um, okay, so now, okay, so now you're still with the other guys while you're having this little record deal. How, how do you become yeah. the, the Turtles? Well, we realized that the Crossfires as a name was not going to sell records. It was pointed out to us from everybody around us, from the two record company goons mm-hmm. to the guy upstairs who never received our resignation letter <laughs> and became our manager. <laughs> yeah. He was a manager, by the way. He was our first of eight managers uh. in the five and a half years that we were the Turtles. And... Uh, he was our first manager, and he was our eighth manager. Oh. He had so many lawsuits against us 
oh. over the five years that we figured out the only way that we were ever going to settle this was to say goodbye to everybody else and go back to manager number one, <laughs> which we did <laughs> just before we broke up. Oh, my God. Okay, so I want to get to all that, like why you guys had to start calling yourselves Flo and Eddie and not the Turtles, and we'll do all that. But, okay, so now, yeah. so, you, so, you cha- so you're the same guys, but you just changed, guys, the, na- you changed the name of the band to the Turtles. Well, they changed it. They, they changed, changed it. it. They okay. said uh, the manager, who was a disc jockey, Red Foster, on mm-hmm. KRLA in Los Angeles, um, said, you know what, I've had this name uh, knocking around my brain for, for a long time now. And I got it. Are you ready? Here's your new name. We said, what, what, what? And he said, You are now the turtle. And we went, Oh, God. That is the worst name we ever heard. What are you trying to do to us? Turtles, they're stupid. They're slow. They're ugly. They're fat. Are you trying to say that? What if I was? Well, it does. I mean, you know, we said, Here are the pluses. Here are the pluses. The pluses are your name is an animal name. All the new English groups have animal names. Yes. The second plus, you have a T-L-E-S ending, just like the Beatles. <laughs> the third plus, third plus, you're coming out on a brand new label no one's ever heard of, mm-hmm. just like the Beatles did with Holly Records mm-hmm. or when they signed to VJ or Swan or when the Honeycombs went to Interscope. Or all of these bizarre little labels that no one had heard of in America mm-hmm. that were having giant successes with British fans. Right, right. So for the first six months of our touring career, everybody in America thought we were a British band. Oh. And we didn't try to dissuade them at all. We went into a restaurant and we spoke in British accent. <laughs> We knew what side of the bread our butter was on, or which side of the crumpet. Uh, okay, okay. Now wait a minute. So, so I, 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 I think "Happy Together" was your first hit. Was that your first hit? I mean, I, it's the, it's how, how I came to know you. How did that happen? No. No. What was your first hit? What was your first hit? The first hit was "It Ain't Me, Babe." The first record we put out was top ten in America. We all left our schools and anything we wow. were doing. We hopped on a tour bus with Dick Clark and his caravan of stars, and we went across America with Tom Jones and Peter and Gordon and Brian Hyland and the Shirelles and Ronnie Dobb and a whole lot of other stars from that era, and it taught us everything we needed to know for the next 45 years, that one tour. Wow. Um, It it made us. We grew up on that tour when we realized what touring was, what it meant to the career, mm-hmm. how these other big stars like Tom Jones mm-hmm. were handling his success, which was really not what I expected at all. So tell, and, tell me uh, your take on that, because I know Tom. I used to wait on him for years at Maxwell's Plump. What, so how was he handling his success? Um, with uh, unbridled sexual enthusiasm. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Yes. Tom, uh, in his early days, and we're talking about the, the record he had out at the time was Western Pussycat. Oh, yeah. So he had been around. He's had it. It's not unusual. People mm-hmm. knew who he was. He was a big figure on TV already. Yeah. Uh, people loved him. They loved his accent and his mm-hmm. build and his hair and his incredible fucking voice. Yes. And uh, 
and he was a great guy, but he knew he was a star, and he would get back onto the tour bus after the show, and all the girls would line up by the bus windows to see, you know, their celebrity crushes inside. Uh-huh. We were not anybody's celebrity crush, <laughs> but we were sitting with Tom yeah. in the back, yeah. and so we watched him handle, so to speak, his so-called career, and he, after the show, would talk to the girls outside the bus as if he were a pirate on the other side of the window. And you go, oh, I'd love to get my hands on you, baby. Oh, what I could do to you. And then, literally, literally, he would like start rubbing himself up against the window and go, you'd love to see Wendell, wouldn't you? You'd love to get your hands on Wendell. You couldn't handle Wendell. Oh, Wendell loves you. Wendell loves you. And he was just the horniest mother I've ever seen. In all of my years wow. on the road, I've never seen a hornier guy. Oh, wait, wait, Ainsley Dunbar. Okay. <laughs> Other than that, I've never seen a horny. Oh, wait, Johnny Barbada. Other than those two drummers, I have. Wait, wait. There's an. No, I'm not even going to tell you that one. Okay. Other than those two guys, I've never seen anybody hornier than that in my life. Okay. Okay. So you learned sexuality from Tom Jones. What better place to learn it? Um, well, I learned how to look like you were sexual from Tom Jones, <laughs> but I did learn sexuality on that tour, I'll tell you. Oh. Because uh, Educating there were Howard. so many girls following that tour bus mm. that Tom certainly couldn't service all of them. <laughs> um, so we were kind of content with the leftovers <laughs> on that level. And we deserved nothing better. Can I just say, we deserved nothing better. But you have to start somewhere. <laughs> You have to marry your first wife before you can move on. <laughs> okay, okay, so I, I want to get this, this whole thing. Okay, so, so you're on this first tour. You, it ain't, I actually love your version of that. I, I, I love Dylan's version, but I actually love your version yeah. of it as well. So you have this hit. You're on the tour. We had that one, we had a follow-up called Let Me Be, and we had a third record that was kind of a good time song called You Baby, Nobody But You. And uh, the reason that we recorded it was that we had gone to New York on tour. We had seen the Love and Spoonful play Mm -hmm. in Greenwich Village. Mm -hmm. And being the only act on this label and being young punks as we were, we came back to New York City and said, you know what? We don't want to do folk rock anymore. We don't want to die with the genre which is why we decided not to record Eve of Destruction. Uh-huh. Uh, it was brought to us as soon as it was written as our follow-up record, and we knew that if we recorded it, we would never have another song on the charts ever again. Now, why is that? So P.F. Sloan was actually a, a, a good friend of mine. I, I love P.F. Why? why? Because, it wasn't yeah. your gen- because it wasn't your genre? That song wasn't you? Wasn't you? It was, we were too young to sing it. Yeah. We weren't angry at anybody. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. We didn't have any political agenda. We were 17. Although, you, you know, know, when P.F. wrote it, he was the same. He was a little younger, actually, when he first wrote, when he wrote that song. Yeah, but Barry Maguire wasn't when he sang right. it. Right, correct. And that's the difference. You know, yeah. the gruffness of the voice and the political message that it sent yes. meant that you were going to turn off half the country yeah. with that record. Mm-hmm. So we didn't want to turn on off half the country. Mm-hmm. We couldn't afford that. Mm-hmm. We really couldn't afford that. We wanted a longer career than that, and we figured that was a career killer. Mm-hmm. Even if it was a number one record, it right. was a career killer. I hear you. And it turned out to be. Mm-hmm. You know, you can't follow that up. It was too powerful, right. and it was too charged. So yeah. um, P.S. Sloan and 
And uh, no, he wrote this one by himself. Um, he wrote a, a song for us that was not so politically charged. That was uh, only about the length of hair and parents not understanding and all that kind of thing and, and kind of independence and kids just want to be free sort of a thing. And it was called Let Me Be. And it followed very much the It Ain't Me Babe pattern because right. he, as a songwriter, knew how to write for us mm -hmm. or anybody else. And uh, we, we decided to record that. It wasn't as big a hit, but it was much more satisfying to know that we were actually singing our own teenage truth, right. not some political thing that somebody else had done. And then uh, he and Steve Berry, his partner, wrote our third record, which was You Baby, to be that good time song, mm -hmm. just, like the, just like the Spoonful had done, exactly like the Spoonful had done. We didn't want to be folk rock guys anymore and go down with that genre. Mm -hmm. So we decided to change Horses midstream, mm -hmm. which was a real risky move. Right. Uh, and we cut You Baby, which was a huge hit. And we just went, Yes, we found it. We don't have to be down in the dumps or play acoustic guitars anymore. <laughs> we don't have to pretend to be friends with Joni. Because, <laughs> you know, we lived in Laurel Canyon, and there's a certain expectation, uh, which we learned later on and embraced. That you've got to sit around in a drum circle with Joni and Steven and Jackson and all those people and, and sing your songs, which yeah. you do, yeah. um, or did, at least in the 70s. I mean, if you couldn't sit next to Sweet Baby James and have the guitar passed to you um, to sing your new songs, then you were out of the circle. Wow, I can't even imagine what that circle was like. Holy crap, wow. It was high. <laughs> I'm sure that. it was very high. <laughs> yeah, it was, especially on, on nights when David would show up. Then things escalated. <laughs> um, yes. I waited on David once. He spent more time in the taxi than he did at the table. Yeah. Yeah, but he's proud of it. <laughs> I think that's wonderful. I, I really do. You know, I've, I've embraced my, uh, my altered brain for the last 54 years or so. It hasn't hurt me. I haven't lost any gray cells. I'm still singing. I don't. Uh, I don't find any vocal loss or anything. No, you're and as amazing. long as uh, I can stay happy in this incredibly biased world, I'm. I'm ahead of the game. I'm ahead of my neighbors anyway, and that's all I. I'm not. I'm not one of those guys that keeps up with the Joneses. I lock my door. Yeah. Okay, so so um, we don't have a lot of time left, and I wanna I wanna move through your story. So so now you're the turtles. You're huge. You're just getting bigger, bigger, bigger. Hit after hit after hit. What happens? Why are you no longer the turtles, and now you're Flo and Eddie? What happens? What happens is that uh, we do uh, an audit after uh, after nine top ten and like twenty top forty records. Mm -hmm. We go in uh, and hire the Harry Fox agency to inspect the books of our little uh, indie label White Whale Records. Mm -hmm. And in one six-month period in 1969, mm -hmm. that agency discovers a $65,000 discrepancy. We didn't get paid enough. So we go into all of their books based on this and realize that they have been pulling money from the first record for five and a half years. They've been skimming at least half of what we should have been making oh. and cheating us all along. And we knew it. We knew it. We knew it. Mm -hmm. They were, as we found out later, really connected to the mob, mm -hmm. uh, as was Roulette Records in the East. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's why we'll never be in the Hall of Fame, because 
we were never friends with um, aired again. We were on a label that he disrespected, oh. uh, like Tommy James was on Roulette. That was another sort of mob-run label. Mm. And we'll never get in the Hall of Fame, either with Tommy. It's a political thing. Oh, don't John say that. Leonard, who runs the committee now mm-hmm. for Rolling Stone, mm-hmm. uh, was very in with those New York people. Mm-hmm. And if you're not on that very short list of Amit's friends, uh, no, you don't oh. get in. If you were on that list, like, you know, Stills or something, you'll mm-hmm. get in two or three times. Mm-hmm. Um, it's an ad. It's just a big ad, and I don't care. We've never needed it. Um, and history has proved me right. You know, yeah. in fact, in our current lawsuit against Sirius XM Radio, uh, <laughs> they haven't been playing our music since that suit started uh, several years ago, and it's helped us. Uh, there are more downloads now of our songs than ever, and uh, even our hard copy CD sales have gone up since they've stopped playing well, the record. Well, by the well, way, I, I, got, I, got, I was in a car accident. I had to get a new car, and in my new car came Sirius, so I got educated. And the only station I listen to is Little Stevens Underground Garage, and it just so happens... Yeah, he plays it. Uh, and it just so happens that on the way over here tonight, Handsome Dick played Happy Together. Hello. Uh, bless you, Manitoba. Bless you. <laughs> okay. Um, I okay. love Little Steven, and I love that station there because yeah. they don't have to follow Sirius's rules. Right. Uh, Sirius's in-house rules is that these guys are suing us. They won the suit. It's mm. $210 million. Oh. We're not playing their damn record. Wow. And well. if I were in their shoes, I wouldn't either. Okay, so wait, so I so I, wa- I I got to get in more of your story while I have you. So ha- ha- so how 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 do you does how do Flo and Eddie connect with Frank Zappa now and become part of the Mother's Invention? Which oh my God, how does that happen? Okay, well the Turtles were at the end of our career. We were suing everybody, and they were suing us. <laughs> and the big the big stipulation, the big caveat in all of this that makes it weird is that White Whale Records not only owned us as the Turtles, but somehow or other in the small print, they owned us individually by name. So I couldn't do anything. Mark couldn't do anything. We couldn't go anywhere until the lawsuit was settled. Uh, We couldn't use our names. I couldn't use my name, Howard Kalen. I couldn't do anything. Yes, ma'am. And Mark couldn't either, and none of the other guys could, and they sat and waited it out, and, and it was the end for them. But Mark and I wanted to continue. We were still writing songs. We were still, you know, very into show business. Mm-hmm. We didn't want to become accountants. And uh, <laughs> sorry, accountants. But um, <laughs> what we wound up doing was spending two horrific weeks right after uh, the success of Eleanor and You Showed Me and the Battle of the Bands album and stuff, uh, we did a record with Ray Davies, uh, and then to follow it up, uh, a second album. Uh, when we made that second follow-up album, uh, White Whale Records locked us out of the studio. All our equipment was inside. We couldn't access anything until the trial was over. It was two years, two and a half years worth of not knowing what we were going to do with that stuff. But in the meantime, Mark and I wanted to be in show business somehow. We didn't know how to do it. Uh-huh. We were offered two lead uh, positions in the Los Angeles production of Hair at the Aquarius Theater. Wow. Because we knew, we knew the authors, Rado and Ragney, from New York, and mm-hmm. we knew all the cast. We've been the show a bunch of times. 
uh, at the Shakespeare Theater before it moved to Broadway. Mm-hmm. So we knew those guys, and they thought we were perfect to be, you know, Wolf and Claude, which oh. I thought was another career killer. You know, don't <laughs> if, if we're naked on stage, we have no audience. Can I tell you right now? Critics are going to come out in droves and go, whoa, no, no, this was an error, error in judgment. Okay, go, go. Uh, so, how did, so how does Frank come on the scene? Well, we were getting desperate. I had gotten a call from um, uh, Donald Fagan of Steely Dan. Uh-huh. Uh, the two of us, Mark and myself, had sung on their demo record, Everyone's Gone to the Movies, mm-hmm. that got them their deal wow. at ABC. Wow. And Donald hated his voice, and he called me and said, please, would you be the lead singer of Steely Dan? And I said, <gasps> hey, Donald, you have a great voice. D, Donald, there are two of us, and I can't. I can't do this. It would be wrong. Wow. You know, we're a team. We've been a team since high school. Got a pass. We didn't know what to do. We had tickets to see Frank Zappa's mothers at UCLA's Poly Pavilion playing with Zubin Mehta and the L.A. Philharmonic wow. doing a preview of a piece that Frank called 200 Motels. Yes. But we didn't know what the hell it was. Mm-hmm. It was just an orchestral piece at the time. Mm-hmm. It was the old mothers of invention, the first bunch of mothers from New York City. And we knew those clowns because every time we went to New York, we went to see them at the Garrick Theater. We hung out with them. Mm-hmm. We hung out with them on Sunset Boulevard. We were just starting when everybody was just starting and right. nobody cared what kind of music you played. We were just all in the same boat. So we went backstage. We said hi to Frank. Frank said, heard the turtles broke up. Whoa, news travels fast. Mm-hmm. Yes, we did. How would you guys like to be in my new Mothers of Invention? Mm-hmm. What? Yeah, we're going to start in 10 days in Amsterdam, and we're touring all of Europe, and then we're going to do a TV special, and then we're coming home, and I'm thinking about a movie. Hello, Frank. <laughs> so um, what do you, you know, you can't call yourselves Howard Mark. What are you going to be? We told him the names of our two ex-roadies, one flamboyant uh, Mexican dude who dressed in Afghan coats and had fuzzy hair just like Volman, but a Zapata mustache, and he was really connected, always had drugs. Mm-hmm. He was a sneaky boy, <laughs> but he was so flashy, we called him Fluorescent Leech because he would leech cigarettes, he would leech <laughs> joints, he would never pay you back. He was the Fluorescent Leech. And the other guy who worked with us, Dennis Jones, who went on to be a manager with Poco and several other big-time mm-hmm. uh, rock groups, uh, didn't look like Dennis Jones. He looked more like mm, Eddie something. So we called those guys the fluorescent leech and Eddie. When we told that to Zappa, he cracked up, which was the goal. All right. And he said, okay, from now on, you guys are the fluorescent leech and Eddie. Only I was the fluorescent leech, oh. and Mark was Eddie all through our career with Frank. Oh. Um, and then when we made our solo record, Warner Brothers flipped the picture. And we wound up being different fluorescent leech. What and you mean just because just they flipped because the position? Because of the Hollywood position on the so picture? Screwed up, Vicky. I'm sorry? Because of the position on the picture, your 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 yep. name's changed? Yep. No, that, no, we kept the name. It's no, I mean but I mean you're no longer you're no longer Flo and he's now Flo and you're Eddie. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> That's hysterical. Correct. That's hysterical. Hey, we didn't want to call ourselves Kaylin and Bowman because we thought it sounded like two Jewish butchers. <laughs> <laughs> I love.
love it. It does. Okay, okay, so we only have a few minutes left. I got to get more stuff from you. Okay, so you're you're with Zapper. You 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 do all of that. Now you guys come out of that experience. Flo and Eddie, you have like nine albums of your own after this experience, mm-hmm. right? And and you're yeah. producing other people and you're playing on other people's records and and the list of people that that you that you did music with is like with Springsteen, you did music with Springsteen and, and John, yeah, like crazy, um, John Lennon and the Ramones and Blondie and you're all over the place. And then you become, then you become disc jockeys and you have this whole incredible career on the radio. So what happened, what happened on the, why did that go away? What happened with the radio? Uh, the radio was a product of the fact that in the 1980s, nobody gave a flying shit about who we were. Mm-hmm. So we needed to develop alternative vocations. In mm-hmm. fact, we had a company called Alternative Vocations, <laughs> where that's all we did was take out an office in Herb Cohen's building on Sunset Boulevard, uh-huh. free, by the way, because he was a cousin. So uh, we had an office there for like three years, and we worked on other projects. We did scripts and screenplays. Mm -hmm. We wrote all the strawberry shortcake music during the 80s that went on the TV specials and on the albums. You wrote a movie. You wrote a movie. Is this when you wrote a movie? Um, Is this when you wrote My Dinner with Jimmy? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. okay. Did a movie, Mm -hmm. Get uh, Get Crazy. Mm -hmm. Uh, As an actor, I acted in uh, General Hospital. Yes. Episode where I, <laughs> I, in, a, in a fantasy sequence, I married Laura to Stavros. <laughs> oh, forget about it. I was a Greek Orthodox priest with a beard and everything, and they wanted to make sure the beard was still there. Yes, I still got the beard. Oh, you've got the part. So, uh, you know, that was a, you know, you do what you have to do. Right. And we were still playing shows sometimes, occasionally. Um, but basically, we weren't doing that at all. We were working on more adult kind of projects. And uh, finally, we moved our office to the um, offices of Miss Universe mm. after Herb sold his building. Mm-hmm. And we were employed by the company, uh, Fiorentino, who owned Miss Universe at the time. Uh, and our first gig at the company was to chaperone Miss USA's, Miss Teen USA's. <laughs> Uh, I don't know if they knew what we looked like or our history when they hired us, but we were the wrong guy to chaperone Miss Team USA, and the parents were freaking. The parents were freaking. These are the guys that are going to protect our girls? I don't think so. So they wound up just giving us a desk and saying, okay, develop shows. Develop shows for us, which we did for a few years. And uh, and at that time we were you know literally kicking the rock and roll drugs because there was no reason to have them in a corporate position, and uh, we got ourselves healthy and and we started thinking about an actual um, future for ourselves. When an East Coast guy who we'd worked with briefly, a drummer, mm-hmm. said, you know, I think we should just start the band up again. I think that Flo and Eddie should be a thing. I think that, you know, you're wasting the name Turtles now that you own it, and we should put a band together, which we did mm-hmm. in around 1980, 81, and we started touring again and doing um, the circuit, as they say, across America. And uh, we did it for quite a few years. We did bigger shows, too. And eventually, 
uh, it led to a company in New York going, we would like to put an entire summer tour together featuring you guys, calling it the Happy Together Tour, bringing everybody out again at the end to sing that anthemic thing and bringing a generation, you know, or two or three together with the music. Uh, we began that about 13 years ago as a show called Happy Fest uh, that ran a few years. Uh, and it was a little too dark. Jack Bruce was on it and um, just heavier bands. Uh, it took too long to change the set over. Uh, the audience would leave if Eric Burton needed, you know, 25 minutes to change equipment. And he always needed 25 minutes to change equipment. Where's Eric? He's drinking. Oh, God. Which is not what you want to hear. Jack Bruce, who was amazing to tour with, he was a great influence on everybody. And we all watched him every single night. And that was fantastic. And we wound up working with beautiful people and, and starting to build an audience. Uh, when we changed the name over to the Happy Together Tour and decided to only with the people that we loved mm -hmm. from the 80s that we toured with back then. Mm -hmm. um, everything changed. It wasn't about how big your record was. It was about how long I could stand to be around you. <laughs> when you're in a tour bus, it's like a submarine, Vicky. I mean, you know, you're breathing the same air for three and a half months with these idiots, you know, and if they're getting up and making coffee at four in the morning and you're smelling it in your bunk, you're going to wake up too. It's just, you know, and then you're watching Poseidon Adventure again. I mean, it's just not right. <laughs> I, I love the right. people that you guys are touring with. Bob Castle was here a couple of weeks ago. I adore Bob Castle. I adore the Castles. Me too. And Louise, who's too. sitting here, whose studio I'm in, Louise Palenka, did the, the family band, the Castles movie. She's the one who, who did that movie. Oh, and fantastic movie. Yes. Thank you, know, you I Howard. Wouldn't, I wouldn't recommend it for anybody on, you know, Zoloft or anything, <laughs> but it's a fantastic movie. And so, and, and, and Bob did a great job. Bob yeah. did a a really great job assembling that footage and, and commenting on what it felt like to be in that group. But seeing the three of them out now, Bob and Paul and Sue, uh, they've added to this tour such vitality mm -hmm. because they've been waiting for the phone to ring for a long time. For a on long this time. Tour. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I know. I, I didn't know that until after the fact, I've been trying to get them on this thing for four years wow. before I could get the promoters to go, well, let's listen to them and see. I'm telling you, I'm telling you. And I had all these alt-rock records that were current with Sue Cowsill singing with everybody. And I She's said, amazing. She's a force of nature. She, she, she really she, is. She's incredible. She can brighten up a room. She cheers up everybody. Yeah. She's just a wonderful presence. All of them together make up a wonderful presence. The fact that they survived all of their hardships. Anyway, they're the so, only group that we have taken on the road three years in a row now. Wow, they will do this summer. They did last summer and the summer before. I, this past summer, um, I fell off the bus upstairs. <laughs> I wound up uh, severing my Achilles tendon. Oh, Howard. Uh, the second week of a three-and-a-half-month tour. So I wound up in a full cast, uh, wheelchairs, crutches, the whole thing, and everybody thought that I was going to cancel the tour and go home. But instead, because I had the help of Paul and yes. Susan Cowsill particularly, yeah. every night 
after the show. They would accompany me back to my room. They would make sure I could take a shower without killing myself and falling down. Oh. And they would rewrap my leg. Paul's oh. got a real history of that because he's had both knees redone and stuff. And they really took care of me, and they brought That's me to the beautiful. stage, and they rigged up ramps, and they did all of this incredible stuff. And, you know, if anybody deserves to be out here, and if anybody can really cheer up an audience, no matter who they follow or perceive, it's those guys. They can bring a crowd to their feet. And nobody realizes how many wonderful songs they had and how great they sound. They're really you know you know they're, Howard they're my best friends out there. Bob um, Bob did Women Who Write um, uh, a couple of years ago, and to this day his his forty minute set that he did at Women Who Write, where he talked, told stories, sang songs. <laughs> It's gotten more hits than anything I have ever done, and I get comments literally to this day. Every single day, I get comments on that video. Good. And Bob said good, that video good, has good. followed him around. He said he always knows when someone's going to talk about that video because they'll start talking about the old women <laughs> in the audience. But oh, anyway, but sakes. yeah, but the old, old women. No but, one in our crowd uh, is older than we are. <laughs> Well, it's physically impossible oh, unless you're Lucifer. Uh, so, all right, I only have two minutes left, but I, I want to say I adore, adore, adore you. When you came and did my living room I, before your book came out, and by the way, everybody out there, Shell Shocked My Life with the Turtles Flow and Eddie and Frank Zappa, etc., is a fantastic, as, as entertaining, as fabulous as you are on, on the air. You are when you write. You're just fantastic. Mm -hmm. I adore you. Thank you, and Vicky. Well, let's just point out to these happy people that it's also an audio book and Kendall, Nook, and I book. So go out there and experience it. Oh, the audio book is great. It's nine hours of me. <laughs> and I love that. Okay, so now, so I have one last question okay. for you, Howard. Um, do you have a guilty pleasure? Is there anything that you um, partake in that you have any shame about? I'm, I'm trying to humanize these people shame? that we hold. Well, you know, we tend to idolize and worship. Yeah. <laughs> Well, oh, that's true. But is there anything that even you that surprises you that you do it that you like it that you love it? Come on. Yeah. What? Yeah, kind of. Uh, well, I'm still a TV baby. I grew up in a generation where my parents put me down in front of Howdy Doody. Yes. And I'm still a TV baby. I don't watch Howdy Doody anymore. Maybe Rachel Maddow, but <laughs> I'm still a TV baby. I love it. I understand it. I, I'd rather watch the live stuff. That's my guilty pleasure. I watched the first 20 minutes of every one of those late-night talk shows ah. before the guests come on. <laughs> because after the guests come on, nobody's good. You know, nobody's isn't that the good. truth? Because Chelsea, Handler, Chelsea Handler can do it. Everybody else that tries to do it, it's so phony. I so I agree with you. Jimmy Fallon gushing over people. I, You know... James Corden doesn't know who he's interviewing, you know. The uh, only one who could do it, well, Johnny Carson was brilliant at it. And he, and for me, the reason that Johnny was brilliant was because he was really in the moment and he trusted himself and he really listened and really had a conversation. Yeah. And he yeah. really let his guests shine. And, and David Letterman was also really good at it. And oh, Letterman, I miss him so much. Yeah. You know, as close as, the closest you can get to Letterman now on television, in my opinion, Mm -hmm. uh, humble is is uh, Conan 
show. If you really want a link uh, to the past of TV talk shows, yeah. he's the only successor that really carries the, the, the mantle. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, over-enthusiastic host, yeah. no. Yeah. No. Yeah. Under-enthusiastic host, no. <laughs> and hosts that put themselves right up on the same level with the artist that they're talking to, mm-hmm. no. Yeah. I that doesn't you. work for me either. So, you know, the first 20 minutes of everything, you listen to the monologues that the best 40 writers in America have come up with, and then you move on. Otherwise, you're stuck listening to Ellen Burstyn or something. Please. <laughs> By the way, what Howard, kind of I was... What world have we created? I was, uh, I was married to David Letterman's head monologue writer for many years. So, uh, yeah. So, yes, wow. I agree. Did so, the monologue... Uh, did he test his jokes on you? He absolutely, as a matter of fact, I, I had a hand in it, quite a few, which, uh, yeah. See? Yeah. Now you made Dave what he was. <laughs> it's all because of me. <laughs> all because of you. It's now all because of me. get him to shave, and we've got something. Oh, don't, don't even get me started on the, on the beard. Anyway, we, we, are, we are out of time, but Howard, I, I love you. I adore you. I thank you so much for doing this. And, um, My pleasure, Vicky. And next year, Happy Together Tour, I want to be front and center. I don't care where I have to come to see you. I'm coming. It's I gotta... the best show in the world. Ugh. You will smile for three solid hours. I, I, I will also be singing through my smile oh, because yeah. I know oh, every yeah. word to every song of everybody who's on that stage. And I know half the band behind you from my days of rock oh, and roll promoting. I've so. heard stories. <laughs> Listen, in, uh, in L.A., we'll be at the Saban Theater, you know, uh, where we are in Beverly Hills. Uh, we've done the show there for the last few years. Yes. And, uh, and in New York, we'll be at the Beacon Theater, and we'll do everything in between for three months or so. Cannot um, wait. And off and look Can- for us in the summer. Absolutely. Love you, Howard. Take care. Thank you so much. Love you, too. Bye-bye. Thank babe. you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. So, Wheezy, DJ. Takeaway with Howard Kalen. It's interesting because for me, I think what I got from Howard is do whatever you have to reinvent. The mothers of invention. The mothers he of is the mother of reinvention. reinvention. <laughs> right? We are so genius. Wow, oh. was that brilliant how we yeah. pulled that right out. Um, but it's true. And Be- we find that with so many successful people, don't we? That we, you we just have. keep figuring the next thing out. And especially like... Howard really has been sort of a, a renaissance man all over the place, starting out playing clarinet, deciding, okay, I'll play. You need a saxophone player? Okay, I'll play saxophone. Say yes. Just, just say, say yes. yes. Just do it. Just yeah. And it's like DJ. You know, DJ wasn't a sound man. We didn't even talk about that at the top uh, of the show, but everybody out there, sure. we, Justin Levin's not I with us right, right now. <laughs> Justin's Emmy-winning sound engineer has gone on to do movies and TV now, and, and DJ stepped in. And DJ has not been a sound engineer before, but I called him up. I know he's a can-do person. Said, DJ, can you do this? He said, can-do. Can-do, because he's a reinvention kind of guy. Wheezy, Wheezy's all over the place. Wheezy's done radio. She she did the documentary on the castles, as we discussed. She has her podcast, Journals Out Loud, with, with kids. Reinvention, me. I, I, you know, where do we begin? Where, well, yeah, forget <laughs> it. That's too long a story. Start but with the book, and then get. We'll get back to you. Th- and mm-hmm. I have one of those. I have a yes. book. I have a, a radio show. And Ma, yes, I will be something one day. <laughs> My mother asked me. So, what's with the radio show? <laughs> All right. So anyway, um, I loved tonight. Thank you guys for for joining with me on this journey. Thank you all out there. 
Um, I look forward to seeing you next week on next Tuesday. Um, I look forward to seeing you guys next Tuesday, every Tuesday. But in between those Tuesdays, you can find me at VickiAbelson.com, V-I-C-K-I-A-B-E. Wait, I can't spell my own name. This is scary, Uh guys. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. A, A, wait. We need name tags. (laughs) V-I-C-K-I. A-B-E-L-S-O-N. Once you have that, Vicki Abelson, spelled correctly, you can find me everywhere because that's my Twitter, that's my Facebook, that's my Instagram, that's my Google+, that's my website, VickiAbelson.com, at Vicki Abelson. Just come find me. 